It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. We are Odyssey's 49ers web zone No Huddle Podcast. I'm Al Sacco with Brian Rennick and Zane Nockby. And we are beyond excited to get a chance to talk with our guest today. She is NFL Network's analytics expert. And you can see her every Sunday on NFL Network's NFL Game Day Morning at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern. She is the one and only Cynthia Freeland. Cynthia, thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. And thank you for your patience. If you see me look to the side, I want your viewers to know I have this new puppy and I'm becoming this puppy mom and I'm a little crazy about it. So I'm just a little like, where did he go? What's he doing? <laughs> What's he no doing? Worries at all. No worries at all. <laughs> Cynthia, anytime we have someone who's reached your level in the business, we're always curious about the journey and how you got here. And you have a really interesting background to me, and I want to make sure I get this right. You have your MBA. You worked as a business development manager for Disney ABC TV, a finance analyst for the NFL. You're the first ever analytics expert on NFL Network, and you are all over NFL Network. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to this point. I'm not really sure is the answer. Um, I, you know, I went to BC and coming out of undergrad, I thought I would be a doctor. So I started medical school. It wasn't for me. My sister's a doctor. She's the good one. She's done everything right. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a little time off. And then I discovered private equity, which I'm older than a lot of people. So, you know, it was good back then, right? Like it was a good, uh, it was a good market for that. So I learned a lot about finance and kind of alternative business models and how to value something. I had never even like that. I'm from a small town in Michigan, like that had never crossed my mind as a career. So I started doing that. Then I went back to business school. And then I also added a master's of predictive analytics where I learned how to code because I was very good at the modeling part for finance. So business models, investment bankers often use financial models. So I was like, well, I can do it even more if I learn how to code. So then I cold emailed the CFO of the NFL at the time. His name is Anthony Noto. He now runs SoFi. Um, and he got gave me a job for my business school summer. I didn't know what I wanted to do necessarily after. I was a career switcher. That's what, you know, whatever. So was, business school is great for that. Um, started working in the NFL and I started working on a season inventory restructuring project, which was figuring out 16 and four, 17 and three games, you know, 18 and two, what's the optimal configuration for the product, meaning games. And we ended up netting out in 17 and three. Now this was a long time ago, so it has taken a while for it to come to pass, but learning how to make that model, I learned to talk to a lot of the people on the competition committee and they were, you know, coaches and former players that have really like such deep knowledge of the game. And they're like, you know, you want more, you want more teams to be playoff eligible longer, thus more interesting inventory. And you want the quarterbacks to play and the best pass rushers to play. Like you don't want to be playing with a bunch of backups. You want to be playing with the dudes, you know? So how do you go and take all of the stuff and put it together? And that was where I sort of turned it into sort of more like money ball and a little bit less like true finance. Cause I thought maybe I would do something in finance for sports, but then it was abstract modeling that I really started doing. Then lockout year, Anthony Noto goes back to Goldman Sachs. And then I went to Disney because another project I worked on was a failed joint venture between ESPN Classic and the NFL Network. This is a long time ago, not anywhere in the, you know, this is 2010. So, you know, go to Disney, work in, you know, strap planning, do a lot of business, more on the business side, entertainment. This is the longest story ever. It's very boring. I hope you're, all of your audience is by now. Um, then there's a job that opens up. So I learned kind of more the entertainment side of it. And Disney is a masterful place. Like that is a masterful place to work. Like those people are smart. 
then a, a role up, a role opened up in innovation. So I was more on the tech side always because of my coding and my ability to make models. Went to Disney from Disney to ESPN, also Disney, but just more mm -hmm. focused on sports. And then you know ESPN, we're working on some like pretty cool tech purchasing things. It's it's boring for this for another podcast, but um, and then all of a sudden Paul D. Podesta got hired by the Browns and also like DraftKings and FanDuel were becoming yeah. more of a thing and people didn't really understand how this game could be more integrated. They knew there was like something there, but they didn't know exactly where what what was the break point of like where it was interesting. And that's where, you know, then I got started first time on TV was the 6 p.m. Sports Center and then um, was terrible. Well, I was terrible. And then, you know, I, I, I went back to learn. I was so scared and like, I was, I was like, like so scared. And, um, but it has been really good to like watch yourself as the, like, I'm sure you guys know from doing this, like watching yourself back and listening to your voice, you're like, ugh. and then you get better. Right. So yeah. I took some improv classes. I learned to get the F over myself and took some voice lessons from people who actually know, I like kind of approached it like a student. And then, you know, the rest is sort of history. And in 2016, the NFL was like, come back home. Let's like make this thing that you started at ESPN, like come home to us at the NFL. Like this is where you grew up, like come just do it for football. And that was really in intriguing for me because football is my favorite. And I mean, it's obviously a more, you know, analytics are a little bit less, and especially in 2016, less defined in football than they are in other sports like baseball. Well, so I, well, I have a couple of things uh, from that. Number one, like my day job is as a, in software engineering. So I, nice. the fact that like you called it that, that, that's awesome. I think that's great. We have to talk shop sometime about that. Of course. And the second thing is, the second thing is, is, is Moneyball. And like, so you, you read the bill, you, you read like the book and you've seen the movie and all that stuff, right? Like you're, mm -hmm. you're well-versed in that. So, you know, when we're talking about like, before we even get into the 49ers, when we're talking about like, you know, the league in general and the, the reliance on like metrics and things like that, there's. There are a lot of offenses and quarterbacks that just aren't like efficient at all. Like they're not, they're just not very good this year. And that doesn't make my fantasy football team very good either. So for me personally, it has been fun, but what do you think has been the reason there's been so much ugly football this year, like general around the league and so many inefficiencies. I spent a lot of time researching this. Like, I think if you would have told all of us ahead of the season that like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, all were going to struggle all at the same time. We would have been like, whatever. Um, no, but you know, now that we're looking back and you're like, okay, well, what's causing this? Number one is, you know, it's this confluence of like, there's a lot of big name players who switch teams this season more so than ever that I've ever studied. So, I mean, maybe back in like the forties that happened, but I, I can't go back that far, but you know, there's more big name players, high importance players that have moved teams. That's the first thing. The second thing, you know, we're not now starting to see the net effect of less of the preseason um, training together and the preseason playing, you know, at, at first it, it's like one year now, like, now we're kind of in, we're, we're steady stream of, you know, after the, the rules were all changed. Number three, we we're seeing a lot of injuries. Perhaps that's tied to number two. I, I don't really know. I'm not a doctor, so I don't do that, but a lot of big name players have been at least a little banged up, if not very banged up. We're seeing bad O-line play like O-lines. A lot of O-lines have been, the number of O lines like that are below the average compared to 10 years prior is that number's going way up. Perhaps it's something about what's happening in college that's filtering through to the NFL level. And lastly, we're seeing the most coaches 
with, okay, I have to say this right, because it's not their age that's young, but they have not been calling plays. So the most people who are responsible for play calling are the least experienced, not the youngest, just the least experienced play callers. You know, it's funny we say that this week, because it was actually even true before whatever happened with the Colts, right? So, you know, it, it, but it was even true before that. Right. So it's the lack of experience for the play calling. I don't know if that, you know, I'm not in the buildings with many teams. I do do some consulting work with teams, but I'm not with every team. I don't know if the like the system and schedule that they're running is different, but I, I can tell you that the people who are in charge of the plays, they have the least experience that we've seen in at least 10 seasons. Yeah. You mean the uh, 30 year old first time play caller uh, for Jeff Saturday's new staff in, in Indianapolis is, is bringing down the, well, <laughs> bringing it down again. Uh, let's be honest. This was actually the. This was before that. You know, like like this. I was I was looking into this well before that. It's a lot of people with a lack of experience in in real. You know, there's a craft to this. Like you know, a lot of the coaches have. You know, I, I can tell you a number of GMs and coaches who have definitely made me cry by telling me that like I'm ruining football or the analytics is stupid and whatever. <laughs> but like, I mean, Phil Polian. Oh come on. No, I mean we're good now. Like, listen, you just got to get through it. It's fine. It's right of passage. But you know, it's like now you're seeing people who. Like, these are people's bodies. Like, I don't think you understand. Like, do you want Aaron Donald running at you full speed? Like, I know I don't, right? Like, and especially if we don't have, like, a good plan, we haven't been doing the things. Like, there's a reason that, you know, you have the certain schedule that you have. Now, is everybody's schedule optimized to be exactly right? No, but you do have, like, there's some things, like, you may not like Josh McDaniels as a coach or play. You might not think he's the best coach, but nobody ever would ever say that he's not done the work to get there right? Like you may not like him or you may not think he's have, doing an efficient job. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but like the buildup and the, like the number of hours he's done and put in and like it every step along the way. And he's had incredible success as an offensive play caller, like, you know, new England. Yes. You cannot deny that. So that's what I'm talking. Like, it's a very different thing, right? Like not, I don't, and I, Jeff, I worked with Jeff Saturday. He's a very nice man. It's just very tricky to see how that it just feels the word I'm gonna use is dangerous because it's like yeah. I think about how fast those collisions are on the field. Like, do you want Von Miller coming at you? No. Do you want? I mean, Nick Bosa? No, thank you. Like, maybe, <laughs> like maybe uh, if I put on pads, maybe that would be safe for an opposing quarterback. But even so, I can, I can be very fast at times. So I have saying, one follow question. I, yeah, so I have so one, it's a one lack of question. ten thousand hours. I just want to. Is that what you're saying? Like, just the lack of of actual practice. I mean, right? I think all of those things together, right? I think it's all like the Devonte Adams moving, no matter, like, I'm not even talking about for Aaron Rodgers that impacts the Raiders. Yes. They played in college together, but there was a little bit ago, you know, like it's mm -hmm. not the same as Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. It's been a while. Like, so the point is, is it's all of these things together. And you have to remember, like, this is like a really, like, it's like a ballet, like it, you know, it's all a choreographed dance. And if you're not doing the right thing, like watch, offensive lines against twists this season <laughs> they don't know what they're doing like mm -hmm. watch the first thing that comes to mind number 70 for the Packers he's a rookie and look that, that is tough but a twist they don't know coming out of college and now you're protecting Aaron Rodgers when there's no Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari hasn't met like that is that seems reckless to me yeah, I and and there's one one thing that you touched on that I do want to actually ask you more about is the perception of analytics kind of like quote unquote ruining the game. And you know, Al and I love baseball and Brian does as well, right? So there's a lot of that sort of thought process by 
the purists, I guess, to say like, oh, well, analytics has ruined baseball because it's devalued superstars and made them replaceable. And, and it's it's changed the way how uh, defenders shift uh, on the field and things like that. Do you feel like there's any sort of risk of like analytics kind of having that sort of effect in the NFL, not necessarily making it worse, but just dr- drastically changing the game like that? And, and you know, who knows? It could be a positive or negative effect. We don't know. But do you feel like it could get to that point where it's like, that heavily relied upon for, for most teams. Cause you, you mentioned that you've been run out of a few buildings, right? Unfortunately, like, and that's, that's really unfortunate, but it just like, to me, it seems like there's a lot of dinosaurs that don't want to hop on board. Right. I think the, there's two things there. The first is the game has to change with the times for a number of reasons, but like health and safety is the number one reason. And as that becomes more of a focal point and not even just like concussions that we know about, but even like soft tissue injuries and, you know, the, the things that like these, like you're, you want your hips to work later in your life and like play with your kid, like things like that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. everybody wants the players to play, but everybody also wants the players to be healthy. So I think the game has to evolve. Like, we're getting bigger and stronger and like all, I mean, these people are, I was standing, I, w- I did Bill sideline for the preseason just trying out some in-game analytics and I'm standing next to their right tackle. His name is Spencer Brown. He's out of like Northern Iowa. And this kid's like six, eight. And I'm like, we are not the same species. <laughs> you know, they're getting bigger and faster and they're, you know, we're, we're becoming, uh, so, so the first thing is, you know, I think the game has to evolve. Like, I, I don't know what purists mean. The game has to, it just has to evolve. It, it, it will. So lean into that and figure out who you want to be in that, in that environment, I think is my, my first thought. My second thought is how, whatever, anal, I don't even know what analytics means anymore for a lot of people, because it's like thrown out so much that like, I'm not sure what that means because people have been using quality control and data insights, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, like there's a, Bill Belichick had a man sit in a room and tell him like tendencies and map and track things to try to get a leg on their up on their competition. You know, Procter and Gamble does uh, data insight research on the next toothpaste you want to buy. So like, it's really like, it's, it's a different word for like, it's just how you want to, like, if you want to blame something, then you can blame analytics, like fine by me at it, I, whatever. But if you want to try to make good decisions, the point is to acknowledge that like, it's a tool in the tool belt. It's one of the right. factors that goes in. It's how you use it. To me, it's like, you know, whenever you're talking to players about like their data and stuff, it's like, well, my goal is to figure out how you work best. Like, I want to win football games. Like if you, if I can figure out like that you do this kind of thing really well, it's not saying you can't do something else. Well, like I'm five foot six. I cannot jump very high. I'm never going to dunk a basketball. I'm never going to do that, but maybe I'm a nasty perimeter shooter. So maybe pair me with someone who can dunk really well. So I have like the right mix and complements of assets, just like Procter and Gamble would go through there. I don't know why I'm stuck on that, but like go through, you know, all the different, like we need some toothpaste. We need this chip we need this whatever like these are our assortments that we want to have because it makes us the most money like i want the most wins so i don't think it's something that's like like when and on broadcast you're like the analytics saying i'm like number one i don't know what the person's internal analytics people are saying for them to do first and two we're in media so if, if we're saying like an average of everyone in this situation you should go for it or not then then present it as such but then say but we know that this chiefs team is so much more efficient efficient passing than they are running so blah 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 like just say like here's the average and mm. it's it's likely that 
the Chiefs are above the average on this or, you know, for, for the Niners, it's like we know that outside zone rushing, like there's something about Kyle Shanahan, like he like t- like puts his finger on a player and they're amazing at it, like whatever it is, right? Like, you know, so you have to recognize like the profile of the Niners offense and the profile of the of the Chiefs offense, that's going to look different. It just it, it just is. So if you say, OK, the analytics like our, you know, our media model says that the average would be here. But we're the we're the Niners and running usually works better. Again. Like whatever, like just editorialize it where it makes sense instead of just being like the analytics say no one liked math class growing up. They're not going to like it now. Yeah, I was going to say that actually leads really well into uh, the next question. And and <clears throat> when we talk about the modern NFL and we talk about efficiency, uh, a lot of what the experts in in analytics, right? And that's a catch-all now, right? We just talked about what does that mean. But those that really study the game, we talk about like the Warren Sharps, right? Where they're really they're really diving down into the data and really kind of parsing it out. And they talk about the relative inefficiency of the running game and how a lot of the modern NFL has shifted more towards, uh, you know, a, a passing league also because the rules are a little bit more lax, but you, you see a team like the 49ers, which is the team that we, that we talk about and, and they've spent so much capital on the running back position, including this year with the trade for Christian McCaffrey. And do you feel like there, there has become almost a blind spot, in the efficiency metrics for the running game to the point where maybe, maybe the 49ers are starting to exploit that a little bit, or do you, do you genuinely or, or generally believe that it is far more efficient to have uh, an excellent passing offense than it is to have an excellent running offense? So I'm going to borrow an adage from business and I'm going to say there's only two sustainable sources of true competitive advantage. The first one is to be the low cost provider. And in this case, that would mean, you know, you get a quarterback that's on a rookie deal. You have a lot of, you know, these these key positions. You're in a good spot. Maybe you have a quarterback and a pass rusher on a rookie deal. So then you don't have to be paying these higher profile, higher cost things. Okay, that's one way for an advantage. The other way for an advantage is to develop a niche and to own that niche with every ounce of your being, right? And that is what I think that the Niners are at least trying and it seems like pretty successfully doing. And they're creating that niche because, and I would say if I was talking to Kyle, I'd be like, great, like tell me what you want in this running back and tell me where you're willing to sacrifice something else. Meaning you can't have, no one can, we have a cap and a floor. That's the way that our game is played. Right? So if you want to have the excellent runners and you, and you want to pay them this, and this is cause like, is Christian McCaffrey really a running back? Like, I don't really know. Right? Like, I, I don't know what I would call him. Right? So if you want to have that, then you need to, maybe you're overpaying for, you know, or maybe you're underpaying for your second tight end, but you only want him to block. You don't need him to catch pass, et cetera. Like there's trade-offs. So it's really, ma- it's masterfully putting together the trade-offs to make your system and the plays that you want to run have those many of the assets that make that happen. So you have a sustainable niche that differentiates you from your competitors and therefore gives you an advantage. There's only two ways you can win, in my opinion, in business and in football. Nice. Cynthia, I have to, I'm curious your take on the team as a whole because the Niners kind of drive their fan base crazy during the regular season because they're really inconsistent. And this year is no different. They're four and four, but still considered a Super Bowl contender, especially you know in the wide open NFC. Where do you think San Francisco is, and do you think they can make another deep run in the playoffs this year based on what you've seen? I do. I actually, I mean, the head of the season 
even with some questions at quarterback, you know, this, they were, I had them as a wild card, not winning the division. So I'll, I got that one wrong, but I think they'll win their division. You know, I'm going to be honest. I think in the NFC in general, there's a lot of, I mean, this one could be one of those weird, like we could have the version of the Cincinnati Bengals from last season, make it for the yeah. NFC this season. Cause like, who knows who's even good in the NFC? Like what are we even looking at? Right. So even if the Niners and the Niners bucks, maybe the, like, I feel confident saying both of those teams have some things that I think are good because even though I've seen some weird play from the Bucks and they're tied with the Falcons for the whatever. So there's a lot of question marks and I know the Eagles are very good, but the point is, is, you know, it's very interesting to see the difference between, you know, what you think of in like about the AFC where like the bills and the chiefs, like you feel like, okay, like both of those teams are probably one a one b right so when i'm looking to see the situation for the for the niners like this feels like a very good niners team that you know the only time i saw them play poorly was when like the entire defense wasn't playing and this feels like like i kind of like i love to fake hate that like kyle like he doesn't owe us anything he doesn't give us anything right like he says the funniest stuff like we don't even know if we're gonna be here sunday like uh, okay well <laughs> True, we don't, but you know, let's hope we're here Sunday, right? Like, so you know, it's it's just it's it feels very much like a this feels like a very Niners-y, like I will see you in Glendale situation. And then before we finish up, you're involved with the non-for-profit Bright Pink. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think that the best thing anyone can do, especially like you know, we we all know early prevention, detection, cancer. It is a massive, massive deal. I have a, a firsthand experience and Bright Pink is actually focused on women's health. So breast and ovarian cancer, early detection, screening and education. It's not about like anything else. It's about taking some responsibility and owning your ability to know about your risks, your risk factors, what you can do and how you can help yourself through education. So it's so a great and, you know, they pair you with mentors and there's a lot of really wonderful ways to kind of, especially if anyone and how many of us don't know someone who's had to deal with some fallout from one of those two cancers you know it really helps families support the whole thing it's all about education it's there's no you know it's here's your resources you can learn about this you can make your own decisions and anything you want to do cynthia you are the best we are huge fans and we cannot thank you enough for the I, time like just talked for like the entire time i'm, the, I'm sorry i'm like would you like that's why we had you on awesome yeah, i know awesome. that's so much so and i mean the dog i feel like you have to see him he's now upside down look at him Yes. Gordy. Oh, so cute. He kind of makes out with lamb chops. We can have a talk about that later. But you know, whatever. He's young. He's young. He's just young. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Cynthia. Have a good one. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Awesome. All right, you guys. Awesome guest. And I want to say thank you to NFL Network, who has been wonderful to us the last five years. Um, they've worked with us constantly. And, you know, we're huge fans of Cynthia, so we were excited to get her. So very cool. Very cool interview. All right, guys. But we do have to move on. And the big news, I think, for the Niners today, it just it's just a gut punch, man, with this Jason Verrett stuff. And we've seen what he's capable of on the field. when He's, he's just a terrific corner when he plays. But his injuries he's just been riddled by injuries. It's one thing after another. He just tore his Achilles after coming back from ACL. And we had hoped this year, it's going to be Mosley and Ward. And then when Verrett comes back, my God, this cornerback group is the best we've seen the Niners have. And I don't know, maybe ever, God knows how long, but yeah. now Mosley's out. 
there's no Verrett, and now it's Ward, and then we got to see what happens. So this was this was tough. This was tough to hear. Yeah, I mean that you for me outside of of football, the first thing I thought of was Jason Verrett, like just the man, right? And I I can't. I, I hesitate to say like, I feel so bad for him. Cause it just sounds like some s- sympathy or whatever, but like genuinely this man has torn an ACL three times and now torn an Achilles twice along with a torn labrum early in his career, a- an ankle injury. Like the, the number of surgeries and rehabs that this guy has gone through since, since being drafted, you know, Zane, you and I were trying to figure out when he was drafted uh, prior to going live and and you said he was a part of the 2014 yep. NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. 2016, 2017, 2018, all three of those seasons ended on IR. 2021 and now 2022. There's only been two seasons in his career that hasn't ended in IR. That was 2015 when he made it to the Pro Bowl. And then 2020, when he arguably should have made it to the Pro Bowl with the 49ers, the only two seasons that he hasn't ended the season on IR. And you just feel, like I said, you feel awful for for the person of Jason Verrett and genuinely hope that he heals up. It feels like this is probably probably it for him, I would I would assume. I mean, I can't imagine rehabbing as hard as he has to get back from that ACL, just to tear an Achilles, try and rehab that and come back. It just feels like his body's like, listen, we can't, <laughs> we can't do this at the level that you you want us to do it. And so, um, but yeah. It, and then on the football side, like you said, Al, it, the, the depth that was there is, is gone now. And so now you are relying on likely Jimmy Ward in the slot for probably the rest of the year with Tayshawn Gibson still manning the free safety. And then Diamador Lenore, Ambry Thomas, Samuel Womack, Dante Johnson. Like you're probably just going to cycle through these guys until one of them really kind of establishes themselves. And I, I, I don't know who that will be. Um, I hope Womack gets an opportunity. That's where he played in college. I know they like Lenore. Maybe, you know, and, and maybe what it is is eventually you get somebody out there so you can kick Lenore back down and you can put Jimmy Ward back at free safety, which is arguably where he's best, but it definitely makes the secondary uh, less, uh, less impressive and, and arguably less effective than they were, you know, prior to that Mosley injury. Yeah. And I think that it puts even more importance on the health of the defensive line now as well, because they need to be able to get to the quarterback and they need to be able to convert a lot of these pressures into sacks. And the Jason Verrett thing, man. Yeah, Brian, like we were talking about it before we were, before the show or we off air. And I just like psychologically as a person, how that must feel. I just, he spent the last six years, a good portion of the last six years, rehabbing from major injuries, like learning how to walk again injuries, literally when he's, when he's torn those three ACLs and then two Achilles, like it's just so gutting. And you, you hate to see that with anybody, but it, it hits extra with the Niners, right? Because like, you know, we covered them and, and, you know, this is our team and this is our favorite team and cheer for them. But I mean, like that aside, all of that put into like one, like just combine all of that. It just makes it hurt even more because it hurts on every level. It hurts the team. It hurts him. I think that, yeah, at this point, like his body's just, Hey, we gotta, we gotta do something else now. 
you know, hopefully he's been able to save up a lot of money from his contracts in the NFL. I just don't, I just don't know if he can continue. And I would love it if he could play because when he's on, he plays at a Pro Bowl level. But I just don't know. Like Richard Sherman had the the torn Achilles too, and after that, he was never the same. So it's one of those things where for for a cornerback, that's just that's that's like the the death blow for your career almost, especially at this point, thirty years old, and he only has he only has forty starts, right? Like that's the crazy thing. He's playing in forty games. Or the course of six years, but that being said, like all those major injuries, I just don't see him coming back from that. And what they do now going forward, like that, this was kind of like the fallback plan, right? For the 49ers, like, all right, well, Verrett's coming back and he'll be on the outside and they'll ease him into action and it'll be okay. And now all of a sudden you don't have that anymore. And what I would love, they're not going to do it, but what I would love is to have Womack back in the slot where he started the season and was very successful by the way, in the slot mm-hmm. and you kick Jimmy Ward outside and you let him play outside because he's mm-hmm. much better outside than he is in the slot. So, and Jimmy Ward hates the slot. Like anytime you hear him talk about playing the slot, he's, he's kind of like, Oh, I'll just do whatever the team wants me to do. <laughs> yeah. He seems like reluctant to do it. So it. it's just like, I, I'm just so gutted for Jason Brett. So sad for him. And, and from a team perspective, it's just a huge blow. But we've got to move on. The season is moving on, and the Niners are in pretty good shape, I think, going into the second half with the game against the Chargers, who, listen, they have issues. Chargers have a lot of issues right now with Herbert being hurt. Um, I, I, he just doesn't look right to me. All their they're receivers. Running, all their receivers. <laughs> Mike Williams, Keenan Allen have been yeah. hurt. They just lost their nose tackle. They're giving up tons of yardage on the ground. We'll get into some of those stats. This is a big game for them. And like Cynthia mentioned, the NFC, I, you, you could, anybody could make the Super Bowl, I think, really in the NFC and it's crazy. One thing, Brian, you put up something today that I saw, what can, something can derail the Niners offense with all this talent right now. We always talk about mistakes, right? If it's the self-inflicted wounds, the penalties, but you put up something today about um, EPA impact from drop passes into that's what, did you want to hit on that? Or you want, you want me to, do you have it up right now? Cause I thought, yeah, I'll bring it up. I'll I'll bring it up. Um, Yeah. So um, this is the, uh, this is this is the the graphic that that I saw, um, and it's EPA impact from drop passes. So essentially, uh, what that that uh, the line on the bottom is is number of points lost due to drops. And as you can see, the Bucks lead the NFL. Not something you want to lead in in uh, uh, almost fifty five points that ha- they've left out there because of their twenty three drops. Um, and then the 49ers are right there at, at 45 points. So we, we've talked a lot about the lack of scoring from this offense. And you could see that this offense could have had 45 more points through week eight uh, without those, those drops, which are at 20. And a lot of those, I think, come from um, – oh, sorry. Come from – a lot of those come from – Jawan Jennings. And so we talked and a little Debo bit Samuel, Debo got, and, Debo and Debo Samuel has some as well, but we talked a little bit uh, last episode about the idea of possibly bringing on an OBJ and arguably that's where I think you could see the biggest impact. Um, I still think that a, a more impactful signing would be Ndamukong Su, um on that D line, especially uh, with Kinlaw likely possibly not, not returning this season. Not that that's been announced, but, it's hard to hard to count on him. So, um, but the drops, the drops have got to stop. And, you know, I think, I, I think if we don't see them stop, right. You, I don't know that they can make noise in, in, in the playoffs. 
And so to me, to me, part of part of the solution could be could be OBJ. And, and and from everything that we're that we're seeing now, granted, you know, it is what it is, but it sounds like it's really probably going to come down to the Cowboys and the 49ers. So, you know, who wants them more? And if you're OBJ, do you want to join the offense that you essentially already ran last year with the Rams or, you know, do you want to try and learn a new one? So, um, but yeah, 45 points off of drops. That's, that's a lot, you know, this, this offense can't afford to, to be losing that, that level of uh, production because they can't, you know, can't keep their hands on the ball. Yeah. And Juwan Jennings had his four drops and a 20% drop drop rate, you know, doesn't have a ton of targets. Debo Samuel has seven drops, a 13% drop rate. This is all according to pro football reference and deep, you know, deep is on pace for like 14 drops this year. He had, he had 10 last year and he was Superman last year. So, I mean, you know, he makes up for it in other ways, but you know, we have seen the Niners and we talk about, they're not scoring points and it is those self-inflicted wounds. So if there's anything that can slow them down in the second half offensively, I I, I definitely think that's it. Do you guys feel like they drop, they drop a lot of passes just because they're thrown into really tight windows and there's always defenders around. No, no. No, I don't some of them, but not all of I mean, them. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, but overall, no. I mean, we've seen Charlie Warner drop, you know, drop. Well, I mean, there's the the wide open drops. Yeah, I mean, there's those. <laughs> but I feel like you know, being you know throwing into tight windows does have a little bit to do with it, and because they throw so much into tight windows, like naturally their their drop rate might be a little bit higher. But that being said, like, look, if it's in your catch radius, you got you got to you know you're an NFL receiver, you got to catch it and. If you're going to get lit up, I mean, yeah, I understand like, okay, some guys, they, they don't like that. Nobody likes that. But that being said, like there have been times where, like you said, they've been wide open and they've dropped like game changing passes and, and you mm-hmm. just can't do that. Right. So OBJ, does he fix that? I mean, sure. Right. He has to get the targets. He, he has to get open. It helps, but he has to get open too. Right. He has to get open and, and uh, whether Kyle wants to scheme stuff up for him or not, if, if he's, if he's coming here, we'll see. Also, uh, Michael Irvin was, I believe the one that kind of suggested the Cowboys and Niners or he was, I guess he was one of them. Uh, I mentioned, I saw that he mentioned that, um, that those would be the two destinations. Also the Cowboys yeah. are really stupid because they just had Amari Cooper and they gave him away. And now they're looking at Odell Beckham. So Cowboys are stupid after <laughs> Cowboys. O- OBJ is a lot cheaper, cheaper. Than, than Cooper though. That's true. Yeah. But you get more production out of Cooper than you will out of OBJ at this point in their career. Right. All right. So everybody knows I'm, I'm a, I'm a wet blanket. Right. So we talked about it last time. Like if I'm always going <laughs> to think about what goes wrong and this team's got to prove it to me and I, I'm, I'm not going to go back on that. Having said that, I think this is a really good matchup for the Niners coming up against the chargers. Niners are going to want to run the ball. They have McCaffrey. They're going to have Mitchell back. It looks like the chargers are giving up 5.7 yards per attempt this season. This just feels like a game where the Niners can just do whatever the hell they want to running the ball and keep Justin Herbert. And what I mean, not that the offense has been terrific lately there anyway, but keep the offense on the sidelines and just, I'm not going to ever say it's going to be easy because it never is, but I, I just, I feel like this is a really good matchup for the Niners to get a win and maybe get, maybe hopefully get things rolling in the second half. Yeah, the the Chargers are 29th in rush defense DVOA. Um, they're they're not good. It's the Achilles heel of their entire defense. Their defense just hasn't been that good this season either. And here's the other thing: Justin Herbert is great. I love Justin Herbert. Arguably one of my favorite players in the NFL. Doesn't have anyone to throw to outside of Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. And so, as a defense, as a 49ers defense, you look at that offense, which hasn't been great this season anyway. 
their offensive coordinator is should be arrested for malpractice uh, for what he's done to Justin Herbert. But outside of that, I don't think there's anything that really scares you about this Chargers offense outside of Justin Herbert, which great, but again, no one to throw to. And so I don't even know if they have to worry about keeping him off the field that much, but I think they will because I think they're going to run the ball 40 times. You know, and and I imagine I think Elijah Mitchell will be back for this game, which yeah, means you've got McCaffrey and Mitchell and TDP, right? Um, here's the here's the one here's the one thing I, I'll take I'll take Al's wet blanket and I'll and I'll throw it out there. Uh, under Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers are one in five after the bye. Is that is is that real? Seriously, one in five. Yeah, really? after the bye. No way! Wow, wow. I did not know that. that. Did they was the one was the one win in 2019 or was it one of the other years? Yeah, I believe it was 2019. 2019. Wow, yep, man. You know me, I have to look that up now. Definitely yeah. gonna look that up later. <laughs> um, That's so comment for our listeners for coming from so, me. <laughs> so, yeah. so there's that, right? So, so there's that, which is inexplicable. I like, how do you, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that, but regardless, I do think that with, I just think there's just a ton of momentum coming off that Rams victory and with all these players coming back after the buy from injury. I just think there's too much for this team not to come out. And to be perfectly honest, I think they're going to blow the chargers out of the water. That's my prediction. And I will, we'll, we'll have a, uh, we will have a score prediction later, but I, I think they're going to, I think they're going to put it on the chargers this week. I really do. You know, this is one of those games where you see something and, and I'm glad that we had Cynthia on earlier to talk about analytics and, and statistics and stuff. And this is one of those games where you look at the stats and they'll, they tell you this, the whole story about the chargers defense and they tell you why they're so bad. And it's because they can't stop the run. And I hope that Kyle looks at that and is basically like, look, we're, we're not going to make any secret of it this week. We've got hopefully use check has been, he's, he's going to play as well. Hopefully he's been practicing. So um, you've got, hopefully you check coming back. You've got Elijah Mitchell coming back. Christian McCaffrey gets the full bye week install. And now you can actually run the ball with the guys that you need to run the ball. So I hope that he looks at this and says that we're going to run the ball 40 times. I do not hope that he looks at this and says, Hey, look, we're going to throw the ball 30 plus times with Jimmy because they'll be expecting us to run. So that should open up things in the past. I hope that he doesn't overcomplicate this. Like that's one of Kyle's uh, really, you know, that's one of his, my pet peeves with him is that he does overcomplicate things. I hope it keeps it simple run the ball 40 times, you're going to win the game. Like, just run the ball down their throat. Even if it's two or three yards a pop, it doesn't matter. Wear that defense down. They're not very good. Control the clock. Limit Justin Herbert's opportunities. I mean, say what you want to say about who has to throw. He's still he's still a very good quarterback. And despite the fact that, you know, yeah, he doesn't have Keenan Allen and, and he hasn't had him uh, the entire season and Eckler's their only, their only real threat. Like, this is one of those games where it's like it almost feels like a trap game. And I know that's kind of disingenuous to say to, to the chargers, but it feels like a trap game to me and the Niners can't play down to an inferior opponent and they should, they should blow them out of the water. Will they? We'll see. Yeah. And, and I have to, kind of, I have to correct myself two and three, my apologies. Cause he hasn't even been here six. This is his sixth season, two and okay, three, two and three. 2019 okay. and 2020 um, are when he won um, lost in 17, 18 and last season, last season was that Colts game. So for Justin Herbert, and again, you got to feel for this guy, kind of what he's going through. Not only is his coaching terrible, but he said he's, his last game, he threw 43 passes. 
and his targets went to, I mean, Austin Eckler, who's a good player, had eight targets. Josh Palmer had 10. Gerald Everett, who's a tight end, had eight. Michael Bandy, whoever the hell that is, had eight. DeAndre Carter had six. Uh, Sacramento State legend, two. DeAndre Carter. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sony <laughs> Michelle had one. So he's, he's, he doesn't have many people to throw to. And Herbert's numbers lately, we brought it up last um, show when we were talking about uh, does your, we play Does Your QB Suck? And we said Dustin Herbert does not suck, and he doesn't, but he's playing right now. He's struggling. Listen to these yards per attempt in his last, oh, what is this, four games. So 6.71. It's going to be ugly. It's so ugly. (laughs) 6.71, 4.18. He had 57 attempts for 238 yards against Denver, who's a good defense. Yikes. 5.75 against Seattle. 51 attempts, only 293 yards. And five 5.70 against the Falcons. That's really bad. I mean, that's yeah. that's just kind of pedestrian. And I don't even think he's really throwing the ball. I think everything is just underneath. Just they're just having to throw these little eight yard passes. He hasn't been running, and maybe that's he's protecting his ribs. But yeah, I just hope for Justin Herbert's sake that um, I know they're five and three. Hopefully, five and four after this week. I hope they get him a real coach next year. Like that'd be a good place for Sean Payton to go. I don't know if he'll want to work for the Chargers. Um, you know, that organization's a little suspect, but it'd be, he'd be a great coach to help Herbert. I hope Herbert gets, cause he could be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't say Mahomes and Allen, but he could maybe be right underneath there. He's certainly talented enough to be like those guys. He has, his, he has that kind of talent, but um, he can be a top five QB in the league. He just needs better things around him. Lombardi is trying to run the Sean Payton offense with, with you Justin know, Herbert. So he's not, he's not succeeding at it. And that's the thing is Justin Herbert is not Drew Brees and they're, they're running this offense. Like they've got a six foot, you know, a six foot quarterback with a average arm when they've got a six, six quarterback with a friggin' howitzer attached to his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like let's move the ball downfield guys. What are we doing uh, again? I hope they don't figure that out this week, but you know, I would love for Justin Herbert's sake for them to figure that out relatively quickly. I've also got a good buddy who's a Chargers fan. I hope for him that they get it figured out as well. Yeah. And really quickly about Justin Herbert, when the Niners drafted Trey, we kind of hoped for that same sort of like ascension in terms of like being able to come in and, and right away make an impact and make a positive impact. But Justin Herbert was really experienced college quarterback. He had over 40 starts, right? So yeah. he, you know, he, he came into the league with a good amount of experience. And I think that like, you know, and, and not to take it on a tangent, but like whenever a quarterback is drafted, like he's the one they kind of like look at. They don't necessarily look at Mahomes and, and Allen. They look at like, oh, Justin Herbert, like this guy came and, and people didn't think that he would do much. And all of a sudden, like he's uh, like two hours drafted ahead of him. And like all of a sudden now, like he's he's a superstar. But it's like, well, he had a, a, a good college career and, and a lot of experience in college. So I think that all of that stuff kind of encapsulated and, and it is, is encapsulated into his what he is now. But I think that. Yeah, like he needs a coach. And you see the importance of coaching. We talked about it last show. Like the coach is a bozo. And when you have a good coach, like if you gave Mike McDaniel Justin Herbert, like, like I mean, he's look what he's done with Tua. And I'm not saying Tua is terrible, but the Justin Herbert could have had Justin Tua's. Herbert. They could have, right? So again, <laughs> problems that they're not going to figure out this week, problems for another year. But I, I really think that the Niners should and will win this game. And I think they will. And I'm going to pick them. I'm going to pick the Niners this week. I think they're well, going to win. I think they're going to hit 30 Let's points. Go. I think it's. I think it's going to be a good game. And if they lose and they don't hit 30 points, I will, will not pick them again the rest of the season. Damn it! I, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's on record. <laughs> it's on record. 
I can see. I think this game is going to be like 31-17. I do, and I, I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty easy game for the Niners. I just think they're going to – because I think they could, we're going to be able to run the ball so well that it's not going to put them in situations where Jimmy Jimmy's going to have to Jimmy, and I, Jimmy will probably have to throw 20 passes in this game, I think, because I think they're just going to be able to run the hell out of the ball. So I like the Niners this week a lot. I do. Go ahead, Zane. So I'm going to pick them in as well, and I I feel like we're going to get – we're not going to get a contradiction from Brian. I don't think we are, but I, I'm going to pick the Niners and I think they're going to dominate uh, the, a lot of Niners are going to show up to SoFi. Uh, sorry, Levi's. Um, and, and it's been a, f- a couple of weeks since they've been back home and a lot, it's going to be a, it's going to be rocking. It's a night game. Um, and I think that, you know, they, they realize that they're in a good spot, even though Seattle's ahead of them. I, I think they realize that they kind of control their own destiny because I don't believe in Seattle. I think they're going to fizzle out because Geno Smith will not continue that play where he is. So I think the Niners know they have an opportunity here to keep, keep up pace. They need to win, but I think they know if they go on a run here, uh, we talked about last week, we talked about the next four games or so, all winnable games. They can stack some wins here. It'll start here with uh, the Chargers. You have a score? 31-17. They're going to score. I was going to say... <laughs> which 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 would make it a trifecta. Al said 31-17. You said 31-17. I was gonna say 31-17 before Al stole it. Um, I had no I, I I can't believe that our wet blanket is picking the 49ers in a blowout. Um, I do think it's gonna be a blowout. I, I don't think that this that this Chargers offense is going to be able to do much against this 49ers defense. Uh the the linebacker, the linebacking trio is gonna be back. Um hopefully Armstead will be back. I'm not sure. I don't actually think he will. I don't know that it would make much of a difference. The Chargers aren't a great running team. Um, you will have to see what happens, you know, in the secondary. But again, there's really not anybody that scares you uh, as a pass catcher on that Chargers squad right now that's healthy because I don't think Keenan Allen's going to play. I don't believe Mike Williams is going to play. So really, again, you're looking at Joshua Palmer and uh, again, Sac State legend, Stingers up. DeAndre Carter. Um, but I'm going to go, I'm going to say the chargers don't get to 17. I'm going to say 13. So I'm going to say you guys said 31, I'll go 33 to 13, uh, San Francisco 49ers, uh, and keep the trend alive. I've picked them every week, right? Obviously I thought they were going to go undefeated, undefeated this, this season. If, if I've picked them every game, but um, I put out a, an article on the web zone today. I, I, I got my author hat on, which has been a while uh, so for some bold predictions. And I did, I think the 49ers are going to go seven and two down the stretch. And here's the first one. Um, and I also predicted that Christian McCaffrey was going to get, a, was going to be the first thousand yard rusher under Kyle Shanahan, which doesn't sound too bold because he's at like 400 yards right now. But, but my bold prediction was that he gets a thousand yards on the ground as a 49er. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't count if he gets a thousand. And yeah, I said as right. a 49er, which which as it stands right now, he needs he needs to average 99 yards a game through the last nine uh, to get there. So we'll see. But uh, also but yeah, 30, 33 today, points. Yeah, 33. Right. Let's go. So it's four touchdowns, a field goal and a safety. Uh, I'm going to say because because this team. Well, this team tends to stall out in the red zone, and I think early on that will happen. So we're going, we're going to go, yeah, we're going to go, uh, we're going to, it's going to be a Robbie Gold. Uh, if you've got Robbie Gold on your fantasy team, I think he'll do good this uh, this week. 
They're scoring seven times from you heard it here first, people from Brian Rennick. Seven scores for the Niners this week. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Thanks again to Cynthia Freeland. Awesome interview. We're great to have her. Let's see if the Niners can get it rolling. Brian and Zane, this is out. Later. Twenty four hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.